Reading from the first chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, beginning with verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I heard a story. I don't think it's a true story, but I'll let you be the judge of that. But it gets in front of us that age-old question. Asked by jealous people everywhere, who does he think he is? Now, if you've been alive for more than five years, somebody has asked that question about you. Who does she think she is? If you have been a parent, you have asked that question about your three-year-old. Who does she think she is? I'm the parent in this house. Right at that moment when doubt and that really kind of begins to grow. Remember those years, Chris? Kind of wonder who parent is in the house and the kids fighting about everything. Jennifer said Delane didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> who does he think he is? Well, it seems one day Jesus and Moses decided to roll back down to earth and play some golf. And as they were going along, they came to a very long par five, which in, in kind of layman's terms is like a really long hole. You can't get there with one club kind of thing. And Jesus pulls out a five iron, a little dinky club, and walks up to the tee, puts his ball down, and Moses is just standing there shaking his head. And he says, man, you can't get to that hole with that club. It's too short. You'll never hit it that far with that club. But Jesus insisted and said, I've seen Tiger Woods do it a million times. So Jesus rears back and drives the water with the ball as hard as he can. And it plops right in the water. Didn't almost clear the lake. Hit it dead center. Jesus walks back to the cart and Moses is laughing at him. He said, I told you it wouldn't work. They drive the cart up to the water and Jesus looks at Moses and says, split it. 
I guess he figured if he could hit it off the dry ground, he didn't lose a stroke, right? Then Moses refused to split the water. And so Jesus gets out of his cart and just walks out on the water and looking down through the water, he finds his ball. But because Jesus can walk on water, apparently he can't reach down in it. He's trying to stand in there trying to figure out what to do. And the foursome that was playing behind them had been watching, growing more and more impatient as they had to wait for them to figure out what to do about a ball in the water. Because normally you just drop one and hit it again. And one of the guys yelled at Moses, says, man, who does he think he is, Jesus? And Moses looked down and said, no, apparently today he thinks he's Tiger Woods. <laughs> Nuanced in that story is almost everything that's going on in this text today. These people in this synagogue, the center of religious life, had an expectation for how everybody who walked into that place would behave. Sound familiar? Sounds like 1960s and 70s church when I was growing up. There are no blue jeans wearing the church. Got mine on the bed because my other pants are dirty. Can't see them as I'm covered up hiding behind the desk. All those sorts of things. You're, you know, some women were expected to wear hats. So some days you were expected to wear this or wear that. You couldn't wear white after Labor Day. Remember all that? All those kinds of rules that were festered onto the church as somehow being holy. Ways that we would live and ways that we would act and that somehow that would give us authority to call ourselves decent people. And these people had the same ideas about their religious life. They thought that if you came into this house of worship, you behaved in a certain way. And Jesus walked in on this day and behaved differently than how they expected. And it might be a little hard to pick up on. Because we're not exactly familiar anymore with what a scribe was or a teacher of the law was and how they handled themselves. They weren't like Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or some of those people who stand up and tell you they have a new teaching from God. For them, what mattered was that they added nothing new. They didn't dig into the text and come up with some new thing that they could sell a book about or convince you that you could have your best life now with. They were looking to see what was already plainly there. They were conveying the word that was conveyed through the prophets. They were not adding to. They were not, what's the right word? They weren't making it about themselves. Their charge was to simply tell people what the scripture said. To interpret it plainly. Not to come up with anything new by any stretch of the imagination. And these are the people who stood and taught in the synagogue. But anyone in that day could stand and read and speak. This was before there was ordination for the rabbis. Or at least a commentary said. And so Jesus stood up to teach and instantly they were transfixed upon the idea that somehow his teaching was different. And the way Mark describes it is that he taught not like the teachers of the law. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had, anybody remember what the word was? Authority. They didn't teach as people who had authority because they were not the originators of the word. The underlying word there for authority is exousia in the Greek. And it's not power, 
but I have it written down here so I make sure I get it right. It's the ability to perform an action, the right or the authority to perform an action. And primarily, it denotes the absolute possibility that any action that you might see was somehow derived from God's activity, at least in the New Testament, use of the word. And from Exousia, we get the Latin word author, which gives us the English word author, and you might start to see what they're saying here. It's a problem because Jesus is teaching them as if he has the authority to speak new law. As if he has the authority to speak something new. And that they would then be beholden. It said an eye for an eye, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. Originator, the original performer of the words. I remember one time I was in a Bible study. Quoting the Old Testament. And I said something trying to be wise, something to the effect that it, it amazes me how much Jesus was aware of the Old Testament, right? Something like that. And Gary said, well, he wrote it. <laughs> and I got to thinking about, well, not Jesus of Nazareth per se, but the second person of the Trinity, the Word who was made incarnate, holy God out of holy God, Jesus who always existed in the second person of the Trinity certainly was part of the breathing of that word into the hearts of the prophets, into the heart of Moses and all those people who pen what the author gave them to pen. And here Jesus comes and reads to them what was uttered forth from his own spirit, what was uttered forth from the spirit of God, which is the word of God. And in this ironic twist, the word incarnate stands in the synagogue and reads the word of God and teaches the word of God as one who has what? Authority. Authority. And what did they say? Who do you think he is? That's what that question is. What is this? A new teaching with authority? That's like, well, we know who this guy is. He came from Nazareth. He can't stand in here and tell us what this means. And then, apparently, one was so riled up about it that his inner demon got out. An unclean spirit that had hold of him started to shake him. And, and you know, a lot of people want to say, now, to preacher, do you really believe in them devils? Absolutely. I see too much evil in the world. I'm not one of those people who blames the devil for what people do, because I think people are evil also without Christ. And we are capable of doing too many things. And the devil doesn't really... We don't really need the devil for a scapegoat to blame our desires on. Our desires are our own. But I believe that the principalities and powers of the air that Paul talked about inflame those desires in us and lead us and lead us into temptation and places where those desires can be flamed. And that's why the Lord's Prayer has us say, deliver us from the evil. Deliver us from that temptation. Deliver us from evil. Maybe that's a little 4th century Christianity, but I don't care. Believing in 
devils and demons and unclean spirits and whatever they might be was okay with Jesus. I'm going to roll with Jesus. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He's the one who has authority to make that claim, not a commentator hired by InterVarsity Press. But Jesus turns and doesn't say to the man, be healed of your epilepsy, because epilepsy wasn't the word here. The man was being shook as if thrown into some kind of violent rage because of what Jesus was doing, I think. He's reacting to Jesus' teaching. He's reacting to Jesus' presence. And Jesus looked at the man, or I guess technically he looked at whatever unclean spirit was in the man and said, get out, be quiet, come out of him. But it's interesting to see as Jesus was teaching and the spirit realized who he was, what the spirit said, what do you want with us? The, the question in the Greek is really, what is it with you and me? It's our relationship here. What's happening here? Have you come to destroy us? Who do you think you are? You see that same train of thought there, a response to him that drags up that question because our desires are being threatened by his presence. And that's always going to happen when we come to know Jesus and experience his teaching. Hear his words read, hear his words taught, see his words enacted. Whether in a TV show or a, or a children's play, we're always going to come to some point of conflict between what we want and what we hear he wants. And somehow in us, there's going to be that rebellion of saying, have you come to destroy me? Have you come to take away who I could be, this germ of me that can mature into something wonderful if I'm just left to my own devices, my own will, if I just run out and do whatever I want? Have you come to destroy my freedom? Have you come to destroy my independence? Have you come to take my life away and crush my dreams? Who do you think you are? Very often, that is how even Christians react to something that is good news. The idea that Jesus might redirect our thoughts, our patterns, our life, our behavior to something that truly is life and not enslaved by sin and death very often causes us to walk away. To grasp one more time in our autonomy to grasp one more time at our ability to rule over ourselves. To grasp one more time at saying, I don't have to be one of them sold out Christians. I can be a bench warmer. There are no bench warmers in the kingdom of God. You're either part of it or you're not. There's no sitting on the bench. There's no gray area. There's no place for a person who says, well, I believe that there is a God, but... Because that's the place of this devil. That's the place of this unclean spirit who's in the man who says... What is it with you and me? Are you here to destroy us? Are you here? Are you here to destroy the powers and principalities of evil in the world? Jesus' answer is a significant yes when he says, quiet. Come out of him. And of course, again, the crowd says, who does he think he is? A new teaching. And he even commands unclean spirits. 
Mark intends for us to wrestle with those same questions. All the way through this book that he has given us, all the way through this letter, this gospel about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what it means for us and for the whole world and for the church. What does it mean for us? And as I said last week, it means that we can always expect God to make the first move in our lives. We can always expect God to be at work drawing us and pushing us back to where God would have us. But we can probably also expect that we will always rebel against the authority that God has over us. Because God is our author. God is the one who wrote us into being, who spoke us into being. We will struggle with that. So Mark tells this story of authority, of Jesus' authority being on display, hoping that we will react in a way not like the devil reacted, the unclean spirit, the demon, whatever words you prefer. He's hoping that we will add charity to our belief that he is the son of God, that we will add love. Athanasius said the difference between a true believer and a devil is that the true believer adds charity to their faith. We act in love because we believe of who Jesus is. This devil trembled, this unclean spirit trembled and shook the man out of fear. But if we have a true faith that Christ is the son of God who heals our wounds and binds us up into himself, that belief should never generate fear. How in the world could we trust him with our eternity and refuse to trust him with our now? Think about that. All over the world, there are Christians who say they trust Jesus with their eternity, but they won't trust him with their right now, with their very moment that they're breathing right now. They want to hold out their own kingdom and hold on to their own thoughts and their own ways. Responding, who does he think he is to tell me to love that so-and-so? Who does he think he is to tell me that I have to accept that person? Doesn't he know what they've done? See the, see the pattern? But authority comes on display. And that's what Mark would have us see today. So that when we hear these scribes and the other people who had come to worship that day ask, who does he think he is? And we would remember the first line of Mark's gospel. That we would remember the very first words he wrote. And they are these. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So that unlike these scribes and the unclean spirit, when confronted with Jesus' authority over our life, we won't rebel against it and say, who does he think he is? But instead, we will remember who he is and trust ourselves to him. Amen.